That's 162 games of the baseball season, and winter comes along just to end it. So the annual problem for a baseball fan is finding a good way to watch it. Like maybe going to the park or watching on TV or just catching the highlights. Watching Gary Sanchez strike out a hundred times or seeing Judge hit a bomb. Bang! Bogart's making plays, Rafi hitting nukes, or Barnes blowing a save. Arguing with your friend, making dumb bets, or complaining about your team again. As you can tell, there's a whole lot of stuff to hear before winter comes again. Come on, y'all. So chill with us, cause Gamby and Beal are gonna say it all. So chill with us, cause Gamby and Beal are gonna say it all. Manfred, Gamby and Beal are making a podcast. Hello, and welcome back to another edition of the Yank Your Socks Off podcast. I am one of your hosts, um, the Yankees fan part of this podcast, and I am Andrew Gambardello III, um, formerly known as Gamby. I actually don't know if that's formal at all, but joining me as always, my best friend and co-host, Beal, Matthew Beal, formerly known as Mr. Beal. How you doing? Right. I'm doing fantastic. How about you? I am not doing as well as you because Duke is in the final four, but um, I know you're doing well because UNC made it to the final four. So yeah, congrats, go congrats um, to that. I will be open and honest about this. We talked about this pre-podcast in every single one of my brackets. Um, I had UNC and Murray state meeting up and uh, every single one of them I had Murray state winning. Uh, so I, maybe I'm just not a very good UNC fan. I've kind of lost some of my ties ever since I went to University of South Carolina. Definitely tough to be a fan of both teams. And um, yeah, both Carolinas. So I've been kind of like, I when the tournament started, I was kind of like reluctant to to root for North Carolina because I'm like, nah, it just feels wrong now. Um, and I was like, I'm going to pick a different team. And it happens to be in the same uh, region of the bracket, and it was Murray State. I picked them because of my love for Ja Morant, as we have previously discussed in almost every podcast we've ever recorded how much I love Ja. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that was the team who I picked. They looked like they were playing really well this year. Didn't see a game of theirs, uh, but I was confident in them. <laughs> and, uh, and I picked them over UNC, and I was wrong. But – you were wrong. But I'm not upset if if we're yeah. just gonna put that out there. I'm not really that mad. No, yeah, you you were wrong, but the, at least they won a game. Like right, I had yeah. UConn going going very far, mm-hmm. and they didn't win a game. So yeah, you're better you're off. You also than I early was. on called Kentucky, and I just want to remind you that they okay. lost in yes. the first round. Yes, to St. Peter's. Peter's, who beat your Murray State team as well. Right. Yeah. 
St. Peter's has just like, I mean, they just, they didn't beat bad teams. Like they, they beat some of the better teams in the bracket. Like, and then got Kentucky smoked was, today I, by UNC. I know. I, and that's what I was getting to. It's just, it's funny because when you're playing a number two, two seed, you're probably not wanting to play Kentucky of any team. I mean, they they were one of the more favorite teams going in. They have a lot of experience on their team right now. Um, and then you go up against Murray State, who's lost twice all year long. So, I mean, they have not had an easy run at it. And for them to make the Elite Eight as a 15 seed is just unprecedented and amazing. Um, honestly, when I was watching the game today, I was a little bit upset because I, I wanted to see a close game. Um, I wanted to see a game that kind of went down to the wire and showed that like St. Peter's belongs there, but just because they were there means that they belong there. Anybody who says they don't, or it was a fluke is just wrong. They're playing their asses off. Uh, they were coached incredibly. I mean, everybody on that team was working towards one common goal and they played so fluidly. And um, I mean, it was just a great example, example of good basketball in my opinion. I, I agree with you. Um, there was some good basketball, but these weekend games, Elite Eight, they all sucked. They they were all yeah, terrible. They, they all did. Um, yeah. But the Sweet 16 Duke was games, wire to wire, some... UNC wire to wire. Like, it was, yeah. Yeah, it, it, there, was, there was not much to love, I would say, out of, out of the Elite Eight games. Sweet 16 games, Duke-Texas Tech was a great game. Yeah. Um, UNC versus UCLA, great game. St. Peter's-Purdue incredible game um yeah gonzaga arkansas like uh, all of the games even villanova michigan was back and forth um what other games were there houston upsetting arizona because you just you just had upsets happening the only game that stunk and i didn't watch it, the one game i didn't watch and i'm happy i didn't watch was miami iowa state in that round um but even um who can kansas providence i mean they had them the whole way at like an arm's reach and then Providence made a late run. Um, yeah. And but. speaking of Providence, if we look at, uh, if we look at our discussion last week when it was a sweet 16 and we we're calling what the final four would be, I believe what I said was UNC and Duke and then Villanova and Providence. And so ultimately I was one team off. How did you do? Yes. Andrew? Cause I, I believe <laughs> I won that. Yes, you did. I stuck with what, you had mentioned Kentucky two weeks before the tournament had started or a week before the tournament had started before um, conference tournament games. I had picked Kentucky as my early pick. Um, but after that week, filling out all my brackets, I had UCLA, Texas Tech, Kansas and Villanova as my final four. Um, so since I had it going into this week, 16, all four, four of those teams were still alive. I stuck with those four teams, even though I did say, I did say, if you do remember this, that UNC will probably be to the final four because UCLA is banged up. Their best player was had a sprained ankle. Um, I'm not making excuses for UCLA, but I, I just wanted to make note of that as well. But yes, Beal, you picked three out of the four starting in the Sweet 16, and That's I only good. picked two of four. Pretty good. Um, pretty good. But, but let me ask you, though, I have Kansas. I had Kansas winning it all. And you had picked UNC, if I if I'm not mistaken here, right? 
uh, winning it all. Yeah, out of those final four from last week. Oh, no, I think I had Nova. Uh, that, I could be wrong. I think you had a Nova UNC final. I don't remember who you picked. As oh, winner. oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I did. And I said that UNC would win this time. Yes. You're right. You're right. I yeah, picked as a, yeah. Okay. You went. All right. So both of our teams to win it all are still alive. So we'll, we'll have some bragging can, rights. Next can you week. imagine if the year ends in like a UNC Duke final four, if yeah. UNC wins and Villanova wins, then you also have a rematch of probably one of the best championships I have in my own memory. I, I mean, did you like watch the Marcus end of the Page going down the court, hitting a three? Yeah. And then I'm blanking on his name, but Villanova Chris Jenkins going Chris back. Jenkins. Yeah, Chris Jenkins Chris, going Chris back. Chris with the K on the from, buzzer beater from Ryan Archidiakonow. It yeah. was a game like just wire to wire, like back and forth, like a two here, a three on the other side, a three here, like is just constantly back and forth. And then the end of the game was just that exact thing. Like I felt like that game could have gone either way based on where the buzzer was going to go off. And it was just, I mean, that was probably my favorite championship to watch, which was brutal because at the time, uh, you know, big Tar Heel fan, um, it was when I was in high school. And so, you know, long before my USC days, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that just, uh, I, I can't, uh, it was oh, yeah, that's, in the moment that's I was just best so finals hurt, game I've, I've ever looking seen. back at it. I mean, that game was just another story. I, I just, yeah. I don't really have a lot of words for it. And so if there's a rematch of UNC Nova um, in the same tournament that UNC and Duke, play in the final four against each other for the first time in the uh, NCAA history. I mean, we we've got a lot of great storylines coming up, no matter what this uh, tournament ends up as. So. Yeah. I, I, I I loved Villanova. I, you know how I love Jay Wright. Um, And, but I don't know if you caught this, but at the end of their game, um, their starting shooting guard is now having an MRI on his left leg. It Likely looked, torn Achilles. Yeah, right. looked like a torn Achilles. Prayers out to him. But Villanova is a team sucks. that really only plays six guys. So I think that's really going to weigh on them going into the Final Four. I, I, I don't think with how deep Kansas is and how well Remy Martin, their sixth man, has put six man of the tournament by far, um, in my opinion, out of all the games I've seen. Um, yeah, Villanova is going to need, and especially on a back-to-back, even if they beat Kansas, they're just, I mean, just naturally with how much they're going to play, they're going to have some tired legs going into the final. Um, I agree. So I very much like Kansas from where I stand to get to the final, um, only because of, of, yeah, before that injury, I would have said this could line up like I, I liked Villanova before that injury. Um, and I still like Villanova, Colin Gillespie, probably the best point guard in the country. Um, yeah. The way he handles that team, definitely the best, the best point guard left in the tournament. Um, hey. That's for sure. Um, what do you want to argue for RJ Davis? No, I was going to say Caleb love. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Shooting guard. <laughs> oh, I thought you said guard. I, I said point guard, point guard. Caleb Love was a uh, point guard last year, though. So Caleb yeah. Love 
has been uncon was unconscious in that UCLA game. That he dude was. could not miss. Yeah, just like RG Davis was in that Baylor game. Yep, yep. UNC just has those couple guards that could just go off. Brady Manick just naturally just steady Eddie puts up like fifteen points. Loves like, the corner. Loves, loves the, the corner three monster and that hair and the beard it just fits you know yep, it just yeah. fits Baycott's a double double machine but they're not a deep team either um but puff, oh my gosh puff johnson puffed the name leaky leaky black leaky black oh my god can you can you just uh, like is there any way that you could possibly argue for those guys losing I mean, the names on that team is yeah, just... but Paolo Boncaro. That's yeah. Also I'm, a name. I'm glad we got here because I was I was gonna bring him up. I, I think that uh, Boncaro is just uh, or Boncaro. I don't know. I've heard both pronunciations. I used to always say Boncaro, but now I'm finding myself saying Boncaro after watching the games. But uh, so I assume his name is Boncaro, but um. Paolo is just, I mean, he is just settling into the player that everybody kind of expected him to be. I mean, he's been incredible all year long, but I wouldn't say that he's just been like that unconscious score, but like late in games lately, uh, the Duke games I've been seeing, like, I mean, the man just, he calls game in, I think almost every close game they've been in, like put him in the post, put him in the corner for a three. Like he is just absolutely unconscious. And that is so rare to see in a freshman. This guy is going to be a force in the NBA. And I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how anybody on North Carolina is going to guard everything that he's able to do. Um, I know that they're going to put Baycott on him in the post. They're going to try to get Baycott over to him in the post. Um, but, I mean, when the guy's out on the perimeter, like, I guess you you try you want Leaky Black or you want uh, Puff Johnson on him, someone who's a little bit longer and a little bit uh, quicker because Paolo just – I mean, that dude is so fast and so strong. It's almost like – I mean, there's nobody really in college basketball who sizes up to him well. Like, you have to have two defenders kind of shadow him and, and kind of switch based on where he's playing. Yeah, I, I think – um, he's such a I just, guard. I just looked it up. Um, this is sad news. It's official. Uh, Justin Moore, Villanova, Taurus, Achilles. He will be out. Um, that sucks. Yeah, it, it really resonates because last year going into the tournament, Villanova had a great season going in. And if you remember this, Colin Gillespie, their point guard, towards ACL um, in that last game in the Big East tournament right before it. Um, the NCAA tournament started um, and they lost that first game of the tournament last year. Um, yeah. It, it's just terrible luck. You know, this why um, all jokes uh, like if injuries could not be a thing ever, and you could always put your best foot forward. Like I, that's what I would want. Um, yeah. yeah I, I, it's just very sad. Um for their best defensive guard. He guards the best player on, on, on the other team. So Oche, Oche Agbagi, um, all American for Kansas um, and Christian Braun, those guys are going to have more freedom of movement than they would have if Justin Moore is on the floor. So that definitely affects that game. So now Kansas by far is the deepest team left. 
the other two teams, three teams left, really just have a six-man rotation um, at best now with Justin Moore going down for Villanova. It's kind of five guys who are regularly playing. So now they'll have to play Archie Diakno's little brother. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm sorry to say the, that's sad news, but I, I think it, it had to be said. Um, but in more happier news, I'm going to be there in Durham um, with you next weekend. Yeah. Um, and Saturday night is going to be insane to watch Duke oh, UNC yeah. play. There are going to be people on the streets one way or another. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a blast. Is there ample – I didn't even ask you this yet. This is – is there, like, can I park easily at your – Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, I I because now I'm just, like, worrying, like, oh, there's going to be so many people in town. Like, all the alumni are going to uh, probably no, come be- back and want to go to the local bars. But – um, it's going to be a great scene for us to go out and watch the game. So I cannot yep. wait for that. Um, oh, yeah. It's going to be a fun time. Yeah. It's going to be a great final four elite eight, a little bit of a down, you know, a little bit of a downer, the games this weekend, but I think next weekend's games will be fantastic. And I, I can't wait to watch them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a fun time. I mean, I really can't wait for the UNC Duke game. I mean, I, 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 what are you what are your feeling this. here are you feeling good i'm not feeling good i i'm not I will feeling be great for unc, for UNC. UNC i think duke gets its revenge yeah i unc has looked really amazing ever since they beat duke late in the season um but they they had a little bit of a stumble obviously in the acc when virginia tech got hot they lost as well as duke um and so I, but then, like, once the tournament started, they kind of just started getting in their groove. Uh, Hubert Davis said earlier this week, like, like someone asked him what's changed with this team. And he's like, honestly, coming into the tournament, we didn't have a single leader. And now we have, like, five or six of them. Like, everybody has stepped up. Everybody has gotten into the role that they were supposed to take. And they have some experience on this team. And – um. I mean, while it isn't championship or big March Madness experience, uh, I mean, it's it's UNC basketball, and those guys yeah. are going to be playing for a championship. And if but nobody if outside is of right, a couple of the Villanova players have like deep tournament experience. Right. Yeah. So it's funny because usually when UNC and Duke are this far into the tournament, they have a good bit of deep experience. Right. Because, but they just haven't been incredible teams recently and and you and they're both young they're both pretty young teams yeah so and brady manic is a transfer from oklahoma yeah so yeah there's definitely something to be said about that but but you're right because leaky black looks like a phenomenal defender your best defender you got um and then you have rj davis and they kind of just love. tied uh, Tim Duncan's record for double doubles in the ACC in a given <laughs> He's season. He's a machine. Yeah, I mean when you when you are up there on, you know, like in the record books with Tim Duncan for college basketball, that says something. I mean, Tim Duncan was one of the best ACC players we've ever seen, and so for Armando Baycott to share a record with him. Is it is something like that? That dude is not being talked about enough for what he's done this yeah. year. He's but got 16 double doubles or something like that, I think. On the other side for Duke, though, the unsung hero or it's been Jeremy Roach. I mean, been their sixth man most of the year. 
only recently, I think the second game of the tournament, they put him in over Trevor Keels, the freshman. Jerry Maroach, a sophomore, highly regarded talent and prospect, but had not a great freshman year last year um, and shaky season this year, but is playing absolutely incredible in the tournament. Duke's definitely the most talented team in the tournament. There's an argument to be made for those top six guys to all be first round picks. Um, So by far the most talented um, and they've seemed to put it all together. They're scary. They still have holes on defense though. You can definitely pick them apart defensively a little bit. They have some lapses, but Wendell Moore is straps on D. Um, and Mark Williams down low is also a double double fiend. Um, so Wendell not Moore has good experience. Yes, as a, as a junior. Um, yeah, not not many upperclassmen on on uh, Duke, but Wendell Moore has been been a quiet leader for them, lead by example. Um, but Baycott's up there, right? Is Baycott a senior? I know Brent yeah, Manick is a graduate a senior. senior um, junior. Uh, also, I want to correct myself. Baycott has 29 double-doubles on the season. I was way oh off. Oh, my God. I was kind of just throwing out a number, but, yeah, 29. That's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I I think it's going to be Duke-Kansas, and I'm praying that Kansas wins and and just, yeah. But I Leaky, think it's going to be Duke-Kansas, too, and I think Duke's going to win. Yeah, but because I, I do Paolo, have to say I just can't like I can't get over the fact of how well he's been playing. Like the dude is just like his wise, jump shot is getting there. His emotions jump shot is wise, pretty. though, I think UNC might have the edge here because Brady Manick, graduate senior, Leaky Black, a senior. Then you have Caleb Love, RJ Davis, both sophomores, and Baycott a junior. They just have more experience, um, and I think with the pressure that'll be on Duke to avenge themselves from what happened at Cameron and stadium coach K's last home game. This would be the ultimate like gut punch for coach K to go out. Um, last home game, lose to UNC lose in the ACC championship game. Um, and then go on to lose to UNC again for the first time, first meeting ever with these teams. This is history. First time ever. Duke and UNC meeting in the final four. You don't see history like this in this would such be the biggest rivalry heartbreak for like, him. And, and honestly, that's, I am rooting for UNC. I, I, I just, I, I have to, cause Duke is Duke is, is Duke. They're just more, you know, yeah. They're dislike, kind of like the evil dislikable. Empire. Yeah. Kind of like the Yankees a little bit. North Carolina but, is kind of like, you know, the underdog and, you know, trying to knock off the the evil no it's it's just really like i coach k uh, i'm just not a a huge fan of oh incredible coach why aren't you a big fan of coach k because duke you either you you either like love them or you hate like it's not like in the middle like so and i'm not i didn't fall on the love side of the side of the sword there so um yeah but were you saying something historically about – sorry for cutting you off there. Oh, no, you're good. I was just going to say, like, it's – I mean, you don't see stuff like that's never happened before in such a storied rivalry. Like, yeah, UNC and Duke have been rivals for, I mean, as long as 
ever, like before basketball even started. They're just rivals because they're 10 minutes apart, the two schools. And so, like, for it to be the first time that they're meeting in a Final Four, that's just – I mean, it's crazy to me to think about. And also, it just makes this game as, like, even bigger than it already is. And so, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I had someone tell me today, they're like, yeah, I'm not really too excited about how the Final Four is shaping up to be. I'm like, are you kidding me? You've got UNC Duke facing off on one side and then Kansas Villanova on the other side. Like, you cannot have more storied no. franchises. No. Jay Wright, place. Bill Self, Coach yeah. K, and then first-year Coach Huber Davis. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I, and, and storied storied – I was about to say franchises, but storied schools and universities – um, especially on the basketball front. You have I'm Kansas Duke excited. and UNC, who I think are the top three or three of the top four most winning, winningest programs in, in the nation, yeah. um, which is it, – it's insane. Um, I think there's a lot of blue. But, but isn't it crazy looking back how many upsets there were? And then what you look as like a casual fan who hasn't been paying that much attention, like, oh, Duke, UNC, Kansas, Villanova again. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like, there's no parody, but there was, there is because yeah. And it's madness. I very exciting way that we got to where we are now. I love the way the storylines are building, but what I do want to say with this Duke UNC game is there's more than it to the eye than, than what the eye sees. Like if you just go player by player, position by position, Duke's got the edge at, at almost every position except for shooting guard um on the on the team and in my my opinion just looking looking at and and center i'll 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 give baycott what what he's due there um but even six man is is better for for duke so the the talent wise duke but you got to remember these are kids they're going home they're going to go back to duke you know they're going to go back to chapel hill they're going to go back to durham they're going to go back to kansas they're going to go back to nova they're going to go back celebrate a little bit you know but they're not going to lose sight of it but there's going to be other distractions coming in you got national media biggest stage who's trying to like it i think it's gonna whoever keeps their composure the best emotions are going to be running high it's a rivalry game that adds to it but you're on the biggest stage who what team can get the best shots for their best players that that's what it is um x and as an o's sometimes go out the window because what if, what if, you know, AJ Griffin shooting guard for, for Duke or, you know, RJ Davis, they're trying to, you know, make a name for themselves for their draft stock or something like that. And they just start taking shots that they, they play outside of, of their strengths, you know, right. cause that's going to happen. There's going to be yeah. a guy or two out there who's trying to play outside of his game for sure. Um, yep. And whatever team um, can have all those guys on the same page running what they do and not changing what they've done to get to this point. Cause both these teams are playing incredible basketball right now. Yeah. And if they both do that, we're going to be in for one of the greatest games we've ever seen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I will see. There's definitely other, other factors because emotions will come into play that, that mental, you know, things running through the, these, these kids head. Cause a lot of them, they're younger than we are, which is, which is crazy now, yeah. now to think about. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. Um, 
I, I think everybody is. I think everybody's going to be on bated breath, but every possession is going to be crazy, and I can't, I can't wait to watch the game. Um, Me neither. With you, especially in in Durham, um, it'll be it'll be crazy. This hit East. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I'm going to wear a, a bunch of South Carolina gear out though. Yeah, me too. Just to just to say, like, remember uh, 2017. Remember that. Yeah. Um, yep. I'm just kidding. Um, kind of. Uh, but that, yeah, I, I think we hit every nail on, on the head there. Um, we can transfer into professional basketball from mentioning draft stock. I mean, really, all I have to say is basketball is happening. NBA is still yeah. going on. I'm going to a Nuggets game tomorrow, and that's that's really about all I got. Yeah, have, have a blast. Thank I, you. I hope they win for your sake. I hope so um, as well. Yeah, have a blast, my guy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank um, you. Who are they playing? Uh, the Charlotte Hornets. Oh, okay. Right, right. Because you're going with Charlotte. Okay. Well, yep. at least you'll get to see a show. Hello yep. Ball and Miles Bridges put on a show. I love so, Miles Bridges. Ever since I know you at do. Michigan State, I have loved him. I yes. wanted the Nuggets to trade up for him so badly. Um, we were in strong need of a small forward at the time. And, you know, still kind of wish we had him. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. I recognized his talent at Michigan State. I called up Tim, Con- Tim Connolly for the Nuggets, said, hey, yeah. this guy is really good. I've been watching him for a while. Uh, know a lot about his game. He, he's a very smooth basketball player, great defender, uh, electric offensive player, loves to put on a show. He'd be awesome in Denver. He loves to run the court. He, he just, you know, he's – he's got energy and, and that's what, yeah. that's what we need in Denver. And, uh, and Tim was like, Hey, I appreciate your input. Um, we're trying to get a deal done cause we value your expertise, but like they just, they couldn't trade up for him. And we just didn't have enough pieces and like, you know, the value, the value there yeah. was just really evident. And so the Hornets are like, no, nah, this is our guy. Like we're, we're getting miles bridges. Um, okay. And yeah. yeah. So like uh, just long story short, yeah. couldn't end up getting him, but, uh, but he's going to face what, you know, should have been his team tomorrow night. And it'll be interesting. I know there's going to be a lot of emotions running, uh, especially with me there in the crowd. Oh yeah. Big rivalry game for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but on a serious note, when, when we play 2k, um, I'm convinced that we'll, we would be great GMs, but I'm pretty oh, sure yeah. everybody's convinced of that. Um, right. uh, I yeah, haven't, so, I, I haven't picked a bad player. I mean, like miles bridges, John Morant, like my team would be so good if I had a franchise and was able to draft in the last like five years, my team would be jaw and miles bridges at the two or three. And then, uh, uh, man, I got to look yeah. at the, the drafts and, and figure out the rest of my team, but that's, that's a really great start. I think my team would win a chip this year. Oh my God. Yeah. My, my team would be more like uh, Lonzo ball at, at point. Oh, guard. Disgusting. Um, and then Kendall Johnson. I absolutely loved him coming out of Kentucky and I think he was a steal for the Spurs. Oh, I might've said his name wrong actually. Let me let me let me get that that fix. Keldon okay. Johnson. I think I oh, said yeah, yeah, yeah. Kendall, but yeah, that that was definitely wrong. I Maybe I was thinking about Devin Booker and uh, Kendall um, Kendall Jenner out of the right. back of my yeah. head. Maybe yeah, I was thinking great great couple, power couple. Common common um, mistake there. Yeah, common mistake. Sorry, sorry, Keldon. Um, 
that was just an honest mistake. Great player though. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, that that's really what's going on in the NBA. The Spurs uh, now I'm talking about the Spurs are making a late push to knock the Lakers out of the playoffs for good. Um, down there, you got the Pelicans, Lakers, and Spurs vying for two two spots in that playing game. Um, so I would love for for that to happen for LeBron to not even make the playing game, not even finish as a top ten seed in the West would be would be kind of hilarious to, yeah. to say the least. Um, um, it, it would be kind of disheartening for me not to see him in the playoffs. To be honest. I don't hate LeBron as much as you do. Uh, I just feel like he belongs there. He definitely gets more fans to watch, and the Lakers by themselves get more fans to watch. So, yeah, it's more – yeah, it's more just the MJ versus LeBron thing where I just – yeah, no. I don't even entertain that conversation. Yeah, well, I do. Yeah, we, I, we'll we'll have that conversation another day. I don't I don't think that conversation needs to be had. It, not because it's not a good debate, because it is. It, that's why it's talked about so much. Because it is one of the better debates in sports. It is one of the closer goat debates there is. But I mean, it's just been talked about so much. And yeah. honestly, it's like I feel like it's all I ever hear about. <laughs> but if the fans want it, we'll do it. I'm I'm about it. It's a fun debate. It's just there's there's never going to be an answer, unfortunately. Like in a, every other sport, I feel like you could kind of get to a solid answer, or like seventy five percent of people are on your side. And I feel like if seventy five percent of people agree on a goat, then that's the guy. Um, I think NBA is the only sport that doesn't really have that. Baseball too. Baseball, there's a, like I don't know. There's a lot of cooks in the kitchen, I feel like. There's a lot of guys that got to a certain legend status. I believe that we're still waiting on our goat in baseball. Um, if Trout didn't get hurt so much, then maybe he would solidify that. But, I mean, unfortunately, the guy has not been on the field, so he hasn't really been able to enforce his status. And we won't know until the end of his career, but we'll see what that looks like. Uh, maybe Shohei's the guy. We'll see. He's a couple years in, and based on those years, I mean, he's doing stuff that we haven't seen before. But I really don't think that baseball, like, even has a goat yet. Like, I, I would entertain five different. I would I would take Babe Ruth. I would take Barry Bonds. I would take uh, probably Willie Mays. Um, I would take Ken Griffey Jr. Um, the kid. Yeah. And I don't know. I said Willie Mays, right? Uh, I'm – yeah, yeah, it, Hank Aaron, it's, it's, maybe it's like, hard to. It's really Mickey hard. Mantle, Ted Williams, yeah, Mickey, even Ted. Yeah, all those guys. I think they're kind of like all even, and like, and and then you go into pitchers, and yeah, I mean, it just Nolan it gets Ryan's so of the world crowded, and, and that's yeah. why I like to use the analogy of like too many cooks in the kitchen because it just that that's what it is in baseball. There's not one person who kind of sets himself aside. I think if Barry Bonds was never convicted of steroids, I think he would be a landslide favorite just because of the sheer numbers that he was putting up. But like with all the stuff that was going on, it's, it's really hard to say that he is like a consensus vote because there's so many people who feel different ways about that. And like, and I'm not really open to calling him the goat either. Um, I think he's 
probably the best hitter that we've ever seen, but like, it's just, it's so hard. It, it really is. And yeah, um, I, it, it's the baseball's the hardest for that, yeah. for that greatest fall time, but, but because you're not on the, you're not even on the field, like half the time, you know? Right. Right. Um, it's so, so hard to be a go as a guy who bats, you know, one in every nine hitters. And it, it just, and, and that's why I think ultimately the goat has to be somebody who does multiple things. Like it could be a guy like Shohei. It could be a guy like Trout who is, like an incredible fielder and saves runs defensively. Like um, it could be a guy like that. And I think that's what we're still looking for a guy who just does everything the best. And that's why I feel like my favorite people that have in that conversation are Mickey Mantle, Hank Aaron and Ken Griffey jr. Because they were five tool players. Like they stole bases. They saved runs on defense. They hit bombs. Like, like those are the guys that kind of come to mind for me. Babe Ruth, obviously with, like his two-way ability yeah um but never really did it all at once so like it's it's a little bit different there uh so i i don't know i just it, there's there's a lot of debates that can be had but yeah. i guess what i was trying to get at is like there's there's not a lot of sports where it's just one guy or another guy and base uh, basketball that's how it is and so that debate just you know gets brought up very often not that it's a bad one it's just a very common thing to hear about yeah yeah, that that is that is a great point, and I think you you gave us a good segment. Also, before we get to the MLB, uh, with, which is what this is all about, um, I just want to say NHL is also getting closer to the playoffs as long yeah. as the NBA, and that's that's really my piece there. Um, before we finish Ops. with baseball, baseball, I do want to say NFL wise. Um, there really hasn't been a lot of news. We're just kind of waiting on edge where Baker Mayfield ends up and getting gearing up towards the draft at the end yeah, of the next couple month. weeks. Yeah. Yeah. There, oh, there, I guess a month. Yeah. About. There really hasn't, there's been small moves. Um, I don't know if you saw, but the giants definitely still trying to trade um, James Bradbury. And it looks like the yeah. chiefs really want him. Because now that they have a lot of cap space, they can take him on. So it would be nice to get something for him. Um, yeah, but that's about it. Um, and then we'll go to the MLB, which is the big uh, is the big part of this podcast today. Because we're going to have our debate, as mentioned last podcast, about um, the top ten catchers in the league going into twenty twenty two. Beal, is there some other MLB news that you wanted to touch on before we get into the debate? Not really. I just did want to point out that we are getting very close to opening day, and I think about it constantly. Um, my uh, my fiance Braylon can attest for the fact that like three times a day, I'm like, I'm just really excited for baseball, and uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's kind of just one of those things that has been on my mind a lot lately, and I can't wait for baseball. It's a big part of my summer. It's a big part of my happiness. Um, and I, I know, you know, it is for a lot of people out there. So, you know, go baseball. You got like 10 more days and uh, and then we'll be there. Yeah, that's true. I do want to say there, I am sad. There are rumors that, that Gardner definitely won't be back with the Yankees. Um, they're still, I'm holding out hope because he is a good veteran there to have, um, as an extra outfielder, he can still field a little bit. Doesn't have the greatest arm. Um, his bat's definitely fading. Um, still has speed. Um, 
we'll see. We'll see where that goes. I, I don't because we already signed Tim LaCastro, who kind of has that same role. He's just younger. Um, so, yeah, that's just sad because especially he could just – that's rumor the Blue Jays have given him an offer, um, and he's definitely still wanted in the league by a, by a good amount of – a couple teams. So, yeah, him not in pinstripes is going to hurt. But, yeah, I, I think it was bound to happen eventually because he just wants to keep playing. And bigger news out of the Yankees' front is that Cashman – is definitely going to have an offer on the table for Judge before opening day. Because um, once the season starts, they've agreed they're not going to talk about contract extension. This is Judge's last year in, in pinstripes as the contract stands right now. Um, considering we have a section of the ballpark dedicated to him, the Judge's chambers and uh, out in right field, um, in the right field bleachers, I would say that we get a deal done. That would be my guess. We'll see. I am very concerned about the future of retaining players. And maybe my optimism on that has been brought down by what happened with Mookie Betts. I feel like teams are going in the direction that they would rather let their homegrown players go and pay for what they already know is good rather than continuing to just take chances and pay guys who could end up getting hurt or could end up putting up bad numbers. And it's, it's getting scary to me because the Red Sox were the epitome of homegrown talent kind of retaining players. And I know that the Mookie situation was a little bit unique. Um, and I don't think that it's a new direction for the Red Sox per se, but it feels like a new direction for a lot of other teams. And honestly, I would be a little – and I, I don't care about the Yankees at all. I don't really care about Aaron Judge. But I think it would be a little bit sad for baseball to see Aaron Judge not retained by the Yankees, um, to see Rafael Devers not retained retained by the Red Sox at the end of um, – he has this year and next year left uh, in arbitration under team control. So, I mean, those are sad things. Like, objectively not really looking at it from, like, a Red Sox fan's perspective, just for the sport of baseball, I think it is better for guys to stay in the town that they were grown up in. Like, I think it would be so much better – and I think most people, except for L.A., would agree that Freddie Freeman should still be a Brave and that Matt Olson should still be an A. And that's just not the case. And, like, that's that's what we expect with the Oakland A's. We don't expect them to retain all their homegrown talent um, because they just don't have the financial means. Um, I love what the Rays did. They signed Wander before they were no longer able to afford him but the Rays haven't been able to retain a lot of homegrown talent. They kept Kevin Kiermaier, but like they had to choose him over other people who they had to let go. And I mean, that's, it's just a sad thing to see. Some teams just aren't capable of retaining talent, but the teams that are capable of retaining that talent sometimes don't seem to retain it. And like, it just, it bothers me as a baseball fan. And I don't think I would be happy necessarily if judge hit free agency. Like I, objectively like and it sucks to say this like i he's a great player and like i i don't want him to be on the yankees but i 
do want him to be on the Yankees for the direction that baseball is going in. I don't want that to be the new norm. I don't want like, I, I hate Carlos Cray. I hate the Astros, but he should be on the Astros. Like, I, I just don't understand why you spend so much time and money into a player when they're in your farm system, you grow them and you can't put up the money to keep them. And that doesn't make any sense to me. It, it just kind of bothers me and hurts me to the core because I think that's what baseball is meant for. Um, if the player wants to leave, I get it. Like, you know, players want to test free agency. It's a big thing. Like you could win a lot of money out there. Um, there's nothing wrong with that, but teams not putting up the money to keep their players. is just kind of sad to me. Um, and I didn't bring up the Rockies on purpose uh, for this debate. Um, they, they did not retain Arenado, but I do think they're going in a better direction. They offered story what the Red Sox offered story. Ultimately, he wanted to go to a winner. That's fine. I get it. I get that things happen like that. Uh, story was tired of playing in Colorado. He was tired of not making the playoffs, and he wanted to go to the team where he felt like he had a chance. That's one thing, and that's fine. Like, it is what it is player's decision i respect that but and hats off to the rockies for offering him the contract that he wanted but for all the teams that don't go out there and try to retain their talent that they grew i just i mean honestly shame on them i i think it's wrong um and like again back to the mookie thing i get why the red sox felt like they had to trade mookie but it still hurts me like i can't think about that talk about it without being a little bit like without just thinking about what if we still had Mookie? like what if that man was still in right field like I mean he's one of my favorite players in baseball and it, it just hurts me that he's on a different team and I, that turned into a long spiel but like I just you know long story short the Yankees should retain judge I just don't know if they will I think they will um, but in other news that just came across my desk um, it happened a couple of days ago and I didn't hear a lot of buzz about it, but the Blue Jays got Ramiel Tapia from the Rockies for Randall yeah. Gritchick. Yeah, that big move. That is a big move. Get a lefty bat instead of righty. I think Gritchick is still a good player. Um, so, and he put up great power numbers move, last year. I think it's a very, it's very just to get another lefty bat in that lineup because they already have Bichette um, and a, and uh, Guerrero and Chapman as righties. There's a lot of righties there. Even Teoscar Hernandez is a righty. So, yeah, they're just a lot of righty heavy. So I think they just wanted to get a lefty in that lineup. And George yeah. Springer, also a righty. So. They want some speed. Yeah, they, they wanted a little little bit more. Um, just I think it just came down to lefty bat. But yeah. just an interesting move and, and could just shake up the locker room a little bit. So. Very interesting, and that Blue Jays team is absolutely loaded. But another thing that kind of came out too was um, a big part of Trevor Story's contract was whether or not he would get the COVID vaccine. Because currently, as the law stands, um, players cannot go over into Toronto to compete in baseball games if they're not vaccinated. And so one of the big things that actually has been talked about recently now that we're bringing up the Blue Jays is that teams in the AL East are not really signing players or not valuing players as high who are not vaccinated. And so once the Red Sox and Trevor Story came to an agreement, they basically kind of said, hey, like, we want you to get a vaccine. Like, you know, we understand that 
you know, we can't tell you what to do and what not to do, but we're competing in the AL East. And if we can't have you for 14 of our games, uh, or, well, I guess it would be, how many series are away? Three series or something. So like 10 of our games, 10 games. Yeah. Yeah. We, if we can't have you for 10 games, then like that kind of changes what the contract looks like. And like, when it comes down to it, I mean, the financial aspect, that's a huge factor. And so the Red Sox asked him to get vaccinated and he did. Um, but that was a big part of the negotiation. And um, from what I hear, it was a big part of the negotiation for, for, <clears throat> excuse me, for all ALEs teams. Um, most of these signings have been tied to uh, at asking players who aren't vaccinated to get vaccinated so that they could play in Toronto. Um, I know that it's been a hurdle for the Blue Jays because every player they look at, I mean, they have to be vaccinated. They can't just sign a player who's not going to play half the year. So, I mean, that's a huge thing, and uh, especially in the ALE. So it's kind of been a little bit of a struggle that wasn't documented early on, but other teams don't have to worry about that as much. But the ALE, um, there's a chance of those players uh, going to the Yankees not to be able to play at home. Um, there's a chance of, you know, players not being able to play in Toronto. So that's, that's kind of been a huge part of negotiation and the ability for ALEs teams to be able to sign players. And so um, it's just, I don't know. I, I just heard about that the other day and a uh, story was just open to talking about it and like, as was Bloom, And so it was just kind of interesting to hear about that experience and like what that looked like. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. It's, it's COVID's not going to go away at least this year um impact and the virus itself it, it it's going to turn into like a flu type thing yearly different strains um uh, yeah i hope it continues off in its trajectory that it's it's more transmissible but it's a lot less deadly um and a lot less potent um right now so yeah um but yeah i didn't hear that that is that is crazy um, it's just that crazy their that contract a... almost fell apart because he wasn't yeah. vaccinated. Yeah, that's crazy. It's um, crazy I that it I has such even... a competitive impact, honestly. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't really think about that. But, I mean, it's true. Like, And I, I honestly didn't think about it until I heard the story. But, uh, you know, it makes sense. Like, ALEs teams need to sign players that can play every single game of the season. And, like, you know, you wouldn't sign a player if you uh, – well – you wouldn't not sign them. But like if, if a player was expected to miss the first few weeks of the season, like you're probably not going to pay him as much as you would. I mean, it's going to be really close, but to know that a player is going to miss about two weeks, like worth of games. I mean, that's a huge impact. And so uh, that's kind of the equivalent is like signing a player who's already hurt. And so, um, so that was just interesting for me to hear about and, puts in to uh, perspective for, you know, the, it, I feel like the AL East, honestly, between all the teams have kind of missed out on a few free agents that like have been big free agents. I mean, the Yankees uh, going after Freddie and um, Scherzer was being targeted by the Yankees and the Red Sox earlier this offseason. That was a while ago, but we're kind of past that now. Cause that was before the lockout, but, um, but you never know, like some of the, and, uh, you know, I don't know who's vaccinated, who's not vaccinated in the league, but like some of these deals could have fallen through for the same reason. We just don't know about it. I'm not saying that they did, but like, it's just kind of interesting to put into perspective like that. Um, and just think about like, 
you know, there's superstar talent out there and, and who knows why uh, they weren't able to be signed in the AL East. It's just kind of competitive atmosphere that other divisions don't really have to worry about as much. Yeah. I, I agree with you. It is. Yeah. It's definitely something, especially with the New York um, vaccine mandate only city I've heard or seen in the, in the U S and then all of Canada, all of their sports um, and venues you had, you have to be vaccinated as a player. So definitely comes into play. Um, but yeah, thank you for that story. That's, that's, I was not expecting. Um, yeah. I, I just didn't even cross my mind, I guess, until now yeah. that, that, that was, uh, yeah, but it, it it's, Neither I mean, it's me. a no brainer though. It, it definitely would affect like what you're willing to pay somebody. Cause if they're not going to be there, you know, right. they can't be there for a portion of the season. It's definitely going to affect, you know, how, right. how you value them. Um, it's just like any job. Like if, yeah, if you go in and you're like, yeah, these 10 days out of the air as long as well as like holidays and the other days I get off, like I, I'm going to be here like, you know, 5% less than every, than everybody else you have hired here. Like you're not going to be willing. You're like, so we can pay you 5% less. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. that definitely comes into play. Um, yeah. Thank you for that. But, but without further ado, let's get to talking about our debate for today. Cause I am excited for this. Um, we hinted at it last week. The really, the conversation is, is Christian Vasquez, Boston Red Sox starting catcher, a top 10 catcher in, in the league. Um, I think he's right around 15. Um, now, maybe I'm a little bit biased and pushing him a little bit deeper, but I definitely don't think he's in the top 10. I think he's hey. like nine or 10. Okay. So can we get some names out of the way? And let's, just have... let's give the top five because okay. I think those are all givens. Okay. Salvador Perez. Yes. Mike Zanino. Wow. Mike Zanino in the top you five. Can't, okay. You can't argue with a guy who just put up 40 home runs at the catcher position. Yep. That's fair. <laughs> I, I'm kind of, I've been high on Zanino for a long time. And just, yeah. I, this is not or, any order at all. Although I do believe Salvador's number one. I think Zanino is probably around four or five, but. Um, and then we got Will Smith, JT yep. Real Muto, yep. and Yasmani Grandal is my top okay. five. Okay. I, I don't hate that top five if you put Zanino at five. The rest yeah. of them, one through four, that you can argument about. Um, I would argue for five, Wilson Contreras with the Cubs. I would Maybe. like to say no. I would say Sean <laughs> Murphy from the Athletics is also a very good catcher. Um, and then I, I could – Honestly, I wouldn't hate making an argument for Mitch Garver. Um, Ew. No. No. Garver is not a top 10 catcher. Oh, my. Okay. We no. can def definitely have. But, all right. So, those five out of the way better. Would you agree that Wilson Contreras is a better catcher? Right. Than? He's six. Okay. We'll put him at six. Sean Murphy. Seven is Sean Murphy. Okay. So would you argue Christian Vasquez for eight then? Or would no. you like to put a I have to, out of respect, put Yachty above Christian Vasquez. Okay. What about Jacob Stallings? Um, 
No. No. Okay. Christian Vasquez right, we'll, is right we'll make, there. We'll make, we'll make that argument. We'll put a pool of players and we'll make that argument. I am glad to have this argument. So you have Vasquez at nine. Yeah. I would say over him are, are Garver, Stallings. Um, and if I had to throw another name in there just to boot him even further, I'll throw in – you might not love this one. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> Yeah, I I like Carson Kelly from the Diamondbacks a lot. Over, what about Max Stacy? I would put him above. Okay, I also like Max Stacy, but yeah, Carson Kelly. I won't talk about. He's he's too young, I think, at this point. But I think in a year from now, I would rather Carson Kelly. I disagree. Not, I love not, Carson Kelly. Don't get me wrong. I read his scouting report about five years ago, and it said that he had a plus plus arm, and I was like, heck yeah, love him. I would never put him over Vasquez. He cannot call a game like Vasquez can. He is not as clutch as Vasquez is, and he's not nearly as good of a hitter yet as Vasquez is, and I don't think he's close to any of those qualities at the moment. Okay, that, that's, that's fair. But I, So this pool of players to knock out, we're going to argue Jacob Stallings, Max Stacy, um, and what was that third name? Garver. Mitch Garver. Um, yeah, I would love to have this argument with you right now. So can we? Yeah, let's go for it. Do you want to have an opening? I will explain first why Christian Vasquez is uh, not necessarily better than these selected players, but why his value is what it is. Okay. Christian Vasquez. You ready? I'm ready. Christian Vasquez cannot be undervalued based on his offensive numbers. I think a lot of people out there take a quick look and see, oh, he had six home runs last year, or, oh, you know, he only batted uh, 258 last year. Those are very shallow numbers to base your opinions off of. A catcher's biggest value in the MOB, and I am strongly behind this, is in the field. And I will give you a few reasons why. The actual fielding of it is important. However, it's not the most important. I will say that Christian Vasquez is one of the better fielding catchers in the league. He has an incredible arm. He is very quick behind the plate. Um but what he does the best is he calls incredible games. He gets the best. He gets the most out of his pitchers. And I mean, maybe I'm a little bit biased in this because I am a Red Sox fan and we had the greatest, arguably one of the greatest pitch callers in MLB history called four no hitters, Jason Veritek. But most people didn't really consider him the greatest catcher at any point in his career. But when it came to winning, he won a lot. Um, when it came to winning, Buster Posey also won a lot, known as one of the better pitch callers that baseball has seen. And he was able to get the most out of the pitchers that have pitched in San Francisco. Tim Lincecum, Matt Keane. When those guys moved on, they were not nearly as good as they were when he was calling their pitchers. And, I mean, there's a reason why Buster Posey was at the – center of winning three championships and Vasquez has won his first championship in 2018 
and he was calling pitches down the stretch. And I, I mean, I just, I'm not putting him up there with VTech or um, Buster Posey because, you know, that would be ridiculous. But as far as pitch calling goes, he is definitely a top five pitch caller in today's MLB. Um, if not better, I'd be willing to argue top three. But I think pitch calling is one of the more valuable traits as a catcher. And it's very hard to measure that because there's not a stat. But he has done a very good job of handling pitchers in, uh, on the Red, in the Red Sox rotation. And also while putting up very consistent offensive stats, the guy has been very clutch. He's had one of the, he's had some of the bigger home runs and hits in, uh, in recent years for the Red Sox. And I mean, I think it's very difficult to argue Mitch Garver, who is a pretty one dimensional player had a good year defensively um, has had some terrible years defensively ultimately it comes down to him just being a very good power hitter um and i mean max stacy is a good defensive player but like at marginally better offensively i would say uh vasquez is much better defensively um and if we're going over to stallings i mean i, I just i i don't think he's that much better at either offense or defense uh, i just i don't know i mean I, I don't really need to make a debate for that i i think he's pretty clear cut better than jacob stallings wow okay um i, I just we want to go into stats if you'd like but yes that's just I, my you're opinion. saying you're saying a lot of hearsay and not a lot of stats so i sometimes that's sometimes it's not the most important thing to talk about stats but that's how, yeah, because you're bringing a lot of fluff and a lot of bias into this instead of actually I, I, making... I said that's just my opening. Okay, that is just an opening. The opening I have here for this debate is that you are heavily in favor. I will give it to you. Vasquez has crushed the Yankees with some clutch, clutch hits, um, and he is, he is a good, very good fielding catcher and game caller. One of um, the best in the league. But I am not scared of him at the plate whatsoever. Um, and the stats don't lie about him at the plate. So we can just go from there. Uh, versus these other guys that are scary to, to face in the lineup. Um, and maybe Vasquez is the best fielder out of them. Maybe. He doesn't have a tremendous arm. Um, he's a good pitch caller. Um, but, yeah, we, we can get into it. For sure. Um, who do you want to start with a mano mano comparison with him? I just want to say one last thing. You know what? Y you you call the player. I I'm gonna I'm gonna get to my one more thing in a second. I'm just pulling up. Uh, you know what? I'm ready. You ready for this? I'm ready for this. Fan graphs ranks the Boston Red Sox catchers fourth in the MLB based on the last three years. Mainly, I believe it's weighing mostly 2021. But let me just read what Fangrass has to say. And, I, I mean, I, I think it's all you need to say. Vasquez has topped a 100 WRC plus for the second year in a row. What is WRC, WRC plus, plus? Is weighted runs created. And if you have over 100, that means that you are 
above average. He hit for a career best 115. Uh, let's get to the important part. Um, pair that with a strong framing. Okay, here we go. A big league best 4.7 runs in 2020 and tied for, for, for third in the three-year rankings at 27 runs due okay. to his framing ability. 27 runs. Top three framing catcher. That is just to put a little bit of stat to my claim of him being a great receiver. Um, but yeah, I just I just want to get that stat in there because I saw that earlier today and I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Twenty seven runs. That's that's huge. Yeah, that is pretty big. But that's twenty twenty. This past year, his his runs saved were right around um, six for the year in total, which so- is very good. For a catcher, and also it is pretty good run run saved is probably not the it's definitely not the most accurate stat for catchers because there's a lot more that goes into catching than any other position. Oh, like how they manage the the staff and stuff like that. Yeah, things like that, like pitch framing. That goes into that stat that for like it does. Does it? Do you? Yes. Yes. I'm not positive about that, but okay. I'm not positive about that either. If I, but I know that blocking and not letting up pass balls and stuff like that definitely goes into it. Um, but the RDRS for the year for Jacob Stallings, we'll start with Jacob Stallings, was 28 last year. Yeah, for Christian, definitely. for Christian Vasquez, it was six. So I. I just like where Vasquez put up a slash line of 258, six home runs. Um, he had a one war in, in 2021, whereas Jacob Stallings had a 246 batting average, eight home runs, but a three war, three times the war um, wins above replacement than Christian Vasquez had in 2021. Um I don't know if your fan graphs article is from 2020, which comes along. Yes. Vasquez had maybe a slight down year, but 2020 you could argue is an outlier for him. Um, so I, I just, I don't see where, where you're making this argument for he. I, I mean, we can make an argument for him even being outside the top 15. I, I, I think disagree. you're, you're, I think you're above, you're trying to go above your means here. I, I don't I don't I don't necessarily agree at all. Okay. I, I'm just telling you where the stats are at and they don't line up with with any of these guys. He pit like his bat just leaves him behind with pretty much all of these guys. Um I and then Stallings is a better fielder than him. So and they have right around equal bat batting stats. So I, I don't know. I know Vasquez has like, there's, there's intangibles there. Um, so I'll give it to you maybe over like Mitch Garver. Cause he doesn't have good stats behind the plate um, and, and only hit 13 home runs, which is not a lot um, and had a two war, but guys like Max Stacy, who, who hit, who hits nukes. Um, I, I, I and will is good say- behind the plate. I don't know. I don't think it's fair for you to say that 
2020 is an outlier because 2020 and 2019 stats look very similar, like almost identical. Arguably was better in 2019. Um, also was a longer year. So, I mean, putting up those stats for season three times as long is more impressive. I would say I would make an argument that 2021 is more of an outlier than those years. And if we're going off of like the best catchers in the league, I'm not going off of one year. I'm going to take an average. In the last three years, I think Vasquez has been better than all three of these guys. And I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think but the conversation is not the past three years. It's what's going to happen. What is this year? Like, what right. are you most confident right. in? But and, and if, him- you're, if you're going off of projections, you're not going to go based off of one year because it's very likely that, you know, player could have no. up year or down year. And so I, I like agree. I like a three year bias personally. I think a three year bias gives a good benchmark for expectation of what a player is going to do. Um, and I mean, if you're looking at OPS, one of the more sought after stats in the MOB right now, I mean, Vasquez has stallings by like a hundred points in the last three years. So, I mean, that's pretty good. Um, <laughs> I, like if we're really looking at that as Vasquez in 2021 had his lowest OPS, which was 660. Two years prior to that, both over – well, 2020 was 801, year before 798. Both really good numbers, especially for a catcher. Jacob Stallings has been about 700 all three years. Um, so I, I would kind of just – Yeah, he's been steady, Eddie. He gives you what he gives you. You cut it off at three years. The year before that, Vasquez hit 207 with a 540 OPS. Um yeah, we don't we don't just, talk about that. You just kind of cut it off. You yeah, cut it off Stallings, at an arbitrary three years. Gimme Stallings had a 485 OPS four years ago. I mean, 14 games, but still. Yeah, I mean, he was hurt. <laughs> like, like these guys get hurt. They're catchers. Um, and I do have to say, like, yes, Vas- Vasquez has been pretty dependable to be on the field. So I will give him the edge on a lot of catchers. The dude is game. a wrecking ball. Have you looked at him? But to me, wins above replacement and wins, wins above average versus other players at your position in the league. I mean, he pay, he doesn't Matt, he doesn't stack up with these other catchers. That's what I'm saying. So like if like would I rather go into the season with Gary Sanchez? Hell no. You know that. Would I rather go in with what we have right now? No, I'd rather Vasquez. I'm, I'm not saying that. He is a great catcher. Um, he is a good Boston Red Sox catcher. He is gritty. He shows up and he gives it. He's, he's great defensively. Um, and he definitely manages that staff well. I, I'm not saying he's not a great fit for the Red Sox. I'm saying if you put him on another team somewhere else, I don't think he's as good as Mitch Gar- Garver, Max Stacy. Jacob Stallings and the stats just don't lie. No, the stats do lie. Which so is what, why I opened this by qualifying Christian Vasquez rather than quantifying him. I just, I don't know. Like, I, I know what I see. I've seen all these catchers play, and like maybe there's a little bit of bias in there, but the way Vasquez calls a game is just, it, it's, 
it, it's important to look at that. And like, I, I hate when people are like the eye test is overrated. The eye test is no longer a thing. The eye test is one of the most oh. important things. If you don't watch baseball, you can't understand baseball. Like, I and I know you. you would agree with me on that. And I so I you. can't stand when the eye test goes away because how can you quantify, how can you say, Oh, you know, like this catcher, if you're like in this instance, comparing catchers, if somebody is calling a game with very little like shakes from the pitcher and just calling pitches and that pitcher has an incredible day that goes just as much to the catcher as it does to the pitcher. And I think that gets overlooked really easy. Um, if a pitcher's having a good season and the catcher is calling the game, like give credit to both of them. And I think that that's what you miss when you start looking too far into stats. And that's kind of what I was trying to say early on. I mean, Vasquez, his importance to the team goes far beyond what the stats say he does, because this guy calls every single pitch of the game. And you can only know that by watching the games. There's no look over to the dugouts. There's, there's nothing coming from any coaches that guy is calling every single pitch. And I, I think that carries a lot of weight as an MOV catcher when you're commanding a pitching staff and calling every single pitch and you get the outcome that the Red Sox did last year. I mean, the pitching staff arguably starting out in the season was probably bottom 10 as far as rotation goes without Chris Sale. I mean, Yavaldi as an ace, I love Yavaldi and I, will go to my grave with Yavaldi as my ace. I'm fine with that. Like I, I love the dude. He's awesome. He pitches in big situations, but Yavaldi as the ace in Boston. I mean, it's, it definitely doesn't speak like, Oh, this is a great pitching staff. But as the season went on, the Red Sox were pitching well in games. And I know that they had a tough time last year. There was a period of time where pitching was just awful. It was two months in the middle of the summer, right around the all-star break when the Red Sox lost their league in the AL East. But starting off the year, the Red Sox had a stronghold on number one in the AL East because their pitching was so dominant. I believe I heard a stat in the first 20 games. Um, I think there were 19 quality starts from the starting pitchers and the bullpen had like an ERA of two or something like that when a staff like the Red Sox were and you know I, I don't even really have to go into the bullpen but Garrett Whitlock is you know your guy out of the bullpen Matt Barnes is your closer like these aren't massive names but when your bullpen and starting rotation are performing that the way that they did at the beginning and the end of 2021 that has to reflect on the catcher. And yeah, to a degree, but you're with the Boston Red Sox with the fourth highest payroll in the league. You're not going to tell me Jacob Stallings with the Pirates has as much of a chance or as much talent in that pitching staff. It's not even close. No, no, he doesn't. But, like, I, I don't know. It's And I guess it's hard to tell because you're right. Like, the talent uh, by rotation changes so much. But the Red Sox have probably had – Last year on paper, probably the worst rotation they've had and since, I don't know, the Bobby Valentine days. Like back when, like before, uh, I don't know, like because we've always had a strong ace. We've had – it was either Lester or Sale or David Price. Last year was Sale hurt. 
we had Nathan Yavaldi who retraded for in 2018, like for practically nothing. Um, the guy was kind of a solid four rotation guy in the Yankees and the Rays. He wasn't, and, and like he has been very good in the last couple of years. And like hats off to him. He's honed in on his craft. He's gotten really good, and I'm happy to call him our ace. But at the same time, like look at the rest of that rotation. I mean, Erod did not have a great year. Um, and you go down the line and you just, you have Nick Pavetta who, you know, we got in trade in the prior year, uh, hadn't really seen a ton of experience in the bigs, uh, had been hurt most of his career, but Vasquez was able to reel in these guys and get the most from them. And I, I mean, for what the Red Sox pitching staff last year was able to do and that goes you know huge deal to the actual pitchers and hats off to them I, I feel like Vasquez does not get enough of the value for what the Red Sox were able to do last year especially in the playoffs um I, I mean just kind of and, and you know obviously hats off to Cora too being able to use these guys in the right situations but um but yeah I mean commanding a pitching staff like that uh you know, catching for starters who were in relief spots, catching for Garrett Whitlock, a guy who was supposed to be a starter as the closer in the playoffs, catching for Hanzo Robles, a guy with a five career ERA late in the season, like putting up like, I, I believe it was 18 scoreless appearances in a row for Hanzo Robles. I mean, that's just the kind of stuff that you love to see coming from your team's catcher. And I, I, I like to give Christian Vasquez some credit for that. Um, and I'll, I'll I am get... biased because I saw that happening first person and I don't know what Stallings and Garver have done, but I feel like those are very difficult things to quantify. I, they're, they're not hard to quantify. That's why they have all these advanced metrics now that that's what I, you, you like to go on stats when they help you, but when they're hurting you right now, you're scaring away from them. And no, I, I hate stats. That is, that is a lie. <laughs> I, I, I there time and time again, you bring up stats and I'm usually the, the eye test. I test wise from watching these guys play. I'll tell you, there's not a huge difference that there, there really isn't from, from these catchers when I've seen them on the play. I haven't really seen Mitch Garber play a lot, but I've seen Stacy play with the angels and I've seen Stallings play with the pirates. Um, yes. For some reason I watched some pirates games, but that's, that's I don't. be, yeah, <laughs> I sometimes do because they play the Cubs and I like watching the Cubs. So, um, but a lot of times Stallings um, would make, so their pitchers would just make they bounce balls in front of the plate and he was making great blocks but you said frank now before i had mentioned the defensive run state save statistic from last year um i hadn't i said our, our drs total for the year drs for the year um and i didn't i didn't say exactly what it was it's defensive run saved how you're helping your team save runs um, all of these catchers are in the positive that we're arguing right now for, but Jacob Stallings has 28 run saves from last year. Mitch Garver of all people has 21 runs saved. Max Stacy 17. And wait, Christian, Mitch Garver has zero. I'm seeing. I'm it's RDRS for the year. Not like 
projected out for the year. From last year, he has three as a catcher, from what I'm I'm looking at. Wait, I'm going off of oh. baseball reference. Okay. Three as a catcher last year? Three as a catcher. Okay. Because they sometimes they play other positions. Right, right, you know right, what I'm right. saying? Like they'll put them at first base to have them in the lineup and stuff like that. Right. Yes. Yeah, that he he doesn't do great. And you were saying they don't include framing. They have advanced stats for framing now. So I will go and and read the framing statistics. No, we don't have to talk from, about from that. La- from last year. You say he's such a great framer. They yeah. 59 catchers, 59 catchers out of the 30 teams in the league qualified for this statistic. He ranks, I, I can read the whole list, but I, I don't need can- to. He ranks well below all of these players that we're, we're talking about. He ranks 33rd on this list. Notably, the last player on the list, 59, is Salvador Perez, who is by far the worst framer in the league. And Gary Sanchez is right down there with him, where there's no denying they are bad framers. He didn't say he saved one run from catch framing. One. You know what's crazy? He saved less. He did. You know what's crazy? Then your backup catcher at framing. What is crazy? Oh, Weck Dog is incredible, but. Vasquez saved three runs in the shortened 2020 season. I don't know what happened to his pitch framing last year, but he had a 50.9% strike rate in 2020. And in 2019, he was also top five. Um, 2020, he was second best. Uh, 2019, he was fifth with 11 runs saved and a 50.9 strike rate. I don't know what happened in 2021, but I was not aware of this. Uh, he was bad. You're right. He was bad. Yeah. I, I the just framing think his strike rate went down to 48.9%. Uh, he hadn't been below 50. I, I know that's just below 50, but every percentage in this, I, I mean, like when you have all these pitches coming in, like Vasquez seeing, you know, 400 something plate appearances and all those innings. I mean, every little bit of percentage it is a good bit. Like, that's a lot of pitches there. And so for his percentage to go down like 2%, that's a big change. So I, I see. I see. I'll, I'll admit, wasn't yeah. that good in 2021 at pitch framing. No. Well, I, the I West just, Dog, though, Ploiecki. Ploiecki, you have a great backup catcher, but that's that's not the conversation here. All of these guys that we're arguing here, Stallings, Stacy, Garver, Vasquez, they're right, they're 30 and 31, all of them. So I it's it's something like I, I don't know. Like at some point you start to go over the hill, but I don't think in baseball as a catcher that 30-31 is it, especially yeah. with Yadi. Yeah, he's still still hanging around here. Yeah, um, dude's gonna be like forty five before he thinks about retiring. Yeah, he's thirty nine right now. I think he's close. I think when he hits forty, but I mean, he's still putting up pretty good. He's numbers. gonna retire with Wayne Wright, probably. Yeah, they're gonna, they're gonna like be throw and catch to... their last game. Can you imagine? That'd be awesome. Oh, that would be awesome. Two Cardinals greats and a great baseball town in St. Louis. We got to visit St. Louis. I want to go see a game in St. Louis. And I heard the barbecue there is incredible. Let's do it. Um, But to, for my closing argument, um, the sats don't lie. They haven't lied. Even if you want to say the past three years, Vasquez. Yes. If you say the past three years, I think you can, 
maybe make an argument for him third. Uh, but that's only because these other guys had one season in the past three years where they were injured. Um, so durability is a stat. <laughs> we do say that a lot. Durability is a stat, but I mean, you could just say Vasquez has just been injury lucky at this, at this point. Um, Cause the knees start to hurt, you know, the catcher is not a very easy position um, injury yeah. wise to handle. So he has done a great job of that, but where he hasn't done a great job, he doesn't have a great bat. He's got declining fielding numbers. Um, yeah. And from every, every list that I've seen from, from even uh, based from every baseball writer that I've seen, none of them um, from the four baseball writers that I am looking at staring at right now, none of them have him in the top 10. Um, yeah. Well, they all one. So, yeah, and we do say a lot that the writers do stink. So that's that's where I, I do want to say that's not great. But they do watch a lot of baseball and sift through a lot of stats. Um, but the stats do not lie. I test also. He doesn't have a scary power in his bat whatsoever. Oh, yeah, he does. And behind the plate, he's average now at best across the league. Um, oh. I'll give him above average. I don't want to. I don't want to piss you off too bad. Uh, definitely above average, um, but it, it just the bat just lags way too much for me to say that he is a top ten catcher in the league. Yeah, well, I think that he is a top ten catcher, and he's going to prove that this year. Um, obviously, I've been kind of left hanging by a lot of these stats in 2021. I don't know what you did to me, Christian Vasquez, but you just flat out didn't have a great 2021, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about who we think is going to be the top 10 catchers in 2022, because that yeah. is what matters. That is and the conversation. I think that Vasquez is a top 10 catcher, even if the stats don't prove it, because at the end of 2020, I, I think it was a pretty good consensus that he was a top 10 catcher. And kind of what you're saying and i understand this like last year he didn't really help himself at all he definitely hurt himself last year um and i'm realizing that now but again we're not talking about last year we're talking about next year and i am willing to argue that last year was more of an outlier than the years before it and so uh based on my three-year bias um (laughs) vasquez is still a top 10 catcher and he's going to show you guys that this year um I was going to say, unfortunately for Vasquez, uh, the the injury problem might catch up to him a little bit because there's not an outlet for him to go to DH. There's not an outlet for him to go to third base. Uh, he's played third, second, first. Like he, he can play the infield positions, but given the Red Sox infield, there's not going to be a ton of opportunity for him there. So um, he's kind of he's kind of stuck where he is if the knee problems catch up to him like they do for most catchers. Um, he'll kind of just have to sit out. Uh, and so hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, but I, I do like the teams that kind of have that DH availability for the catchers because it is a uh, very injury prone position. So hopefully Vasquez keeps it going on the durability side. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I would probably just like to end my argument with the fact that I just, I, I love how clutch, Christian Vasquez, a.k.a. the moon man is um, 
we, we all remember some of his walk-off home runs that he's had. Uh, and the one in particular that I really just love to watch highlights on, um, back in, I want to say it was 2018, 2017, um, Vasquez had a walk-off, uh, was it a walk-off or go-ahead home run off of Dylan Batances? And I don't think, like, there's a single – okay, I lie. There is Red Sox videos that make me happier than this, but there's not a lot of Red Sox videos that I could watch back and would make me happier than this video. And so I, I definitely enjoy watching it. If you guys haven't seen it, go ahead and watch it. It would make Andrew very upset. Um, just a really great clutch hitter, is not afraid of the moment, a uh, big reason why the Red Sox won in 2018. And, uh, and I think that says enough of what type of player he is. And you don't always see that type of uh, clutch, um, uh, where we can call it, like competitiveness at the catcher position. It's just not as common. Um, but, yeah, that home run off of Batances was kind of just the start of his clutch career. But I, I just love going back and watching that. It's fantastic. Sunday night. I thought – my closing oh, yes, argument man. dragged down a little bit, but holy lord, did you just drag that on? Um, I know you have you it's have your your stories and stuff, which I don't have those personal stories because I don't have the ties to Jacob Stallings or Max Stacy or Mitch Garber. But I will say for 2022, these three guys, um, they have two of the three guys that I've mentioned: Jacob Stallings, Max Stacy, Mitch Garber. They have two fresh starts. Stallings goes from a terrible Pittsburgh Pirates team to another terrible team in the Marlins, but it's a fresh start. Um, and it's a young team and it's at least a better pitching staff. So he has that to look forward to. Mitch Garver goes from the twins to a much improved Texas Rangers team. They're both in warmer climates now. And then you have Stacy with the angels as well, who are just an improving roster. Um, so I think they're just, those three guys get in better situations. They are, they have bet, they all three have better hitting statistics than, than Vasquez and even fielding some, even just stallings. I would argue Stacy is right around there. And I mean, he's okay. Garver is not the fielder that, that Vasquez is. Vasquez just had a down 21. I will give you that, but all three of these guys, I think you can definitely make, a sound argument that Vasquez is worse, which pushes Vasquez to right around 12 or 13. Um, I, I might be crazy here adding this at the last set, but Adley Rutschman is coming. Oh my Lee. gosh. I usually I'm the one to talk about prospects too early. I'm just kidding. It's yeah, not too that, early. Adley Rutschman is here. And once he joins the league, he's going to be a top three catcher. Wow. Yeah. He's good. Wow. wow. <laughs> he's good. Yeah, he is. He's hurt though. So uh prayers out for him hopefully he comes back fully healthy um and yeah. ready to go hasn't been able to participate in spring training unfortunately otherwise i'd be watching him and kind of just oogling over his home runs just as we all are for bobby witt jr have you seen yes. bobby witt's jacks to left field i have and i do he have looks to like say trout. that it is quite impression he looks I'll like say trout. I can't wait till I see it in the league. Uh, yeah. But that does it for this debate. Um, 
we can, we're probably still, I don't think there was a clear cut winner here. Um, I just, actually, talked I do my way out of a loss. I just kept talking I, and talking and talking. Yes. And the endless talking might have talk, talked you out of a loss here, but I don't yeah. think so deep down when you go into it. I mean, it'll, it'll come down. I think the, the light will shine on the truth here that Vasquez right. yeah, is absolutely. not top 10. Yeah. And that's um, not the truth. But that does it for this episode. Um, this Wednesday, uh, we'll have a little bit. I, I do want to talk about women's college basketball. I'm wearing my UConn sweatshirt right now. And the UConn women have a big game tomorrow night, uh, Monday night, against um, NC State, a one seed, to go to the Final Four. So I will be watching that. Um, and then, yeah, anything happens till Wednesday, we'll talk about um, – and we're going to try, I'm going to try to get a guest on for Wednesday. Uh, we'll have a little surprise guest on for Wednesday um, and try to do another little conspiracy theory for Wednesday. Um, yeah, but thank you all. Thank you for listening. Um, we love you guys. Have a good sunset, sunrise. Enjoy the ebbs and flows of the day. Um, enjoy the madness. It's coming down to an end. Sadly, um, just like March is coming down to an end. Um, but yeah, those are for yeah. me. Stats don't lie. Uh, sometimes they do. Um, but uh, one last question for you. Who are you yeah. going to root for in the national championship if UConn and South Carolina face each other? For the women's college basketball NCAA tournament final, I, in my bracket, I had um, Tennessee, South Carolina, UConn, and Stanford in that final four. Um, I know I'm dodging the question here. Yeah, you um, are. And I will this be is rooting, making me really upset. I will be rooting for South Carolina women's hey. basketball. And UConn Actually, basketball. Though. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, no. I, you sound like I, a, politic, you, a politician. It, it's hard not to, I mean, it'd be like if I, I grew up going to U, UConn basketball games um, and that's it really. That's, that's, that's it. Um, that's, that's how I got into the sport going to UConn men's and women's basketball games. This is such a tough question. You, you don't, it should be an easy answer because I am a South Carolina alum. I won't be ha- I won't be unhappy either way. I'll, I'll put it that way. Like, honestly, like I'll be happy either way. I hope that both teams just, they have a great game and it comes down to the wire and everybody's ha- healthy. Um, now I'm a crazy fan. I- I'm not going to lie to you, Bill. <laughs> I'll be rooting for you, Kyle. Whatever. Don Staley is greater than Gina Oriema. That's all I care about. Uh, deep down, honestly, I have to, I have to root for South Carolina, but there, there is something in me that just oozes out Husky basketball. Um, and I can't stop that. from. Doing. That's fine. That's fine. You do you, but just know I, that every other game, every other game I'm rooting for South Carolina. You have to, when the time comes, you know what? I'll tell you when the time, like initially what I'm saying now, but when the time comes, things will change. You know, that when games yeah. happen, when it comes down to it, I think I will root for South Carolina during the game. 
Um, I'm hoping that we kind of avoid that and just one of the teams makes it so I can just flat out root for that team. But to see both of them there, honestly, would be great. That would mean they both had amazing seasons um, and it, it would be a hell of a game. So, yeah, right now they're both in the Elite Eight. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, we will see what happens. Um, South Carolina is not in the Elite Eight. They are actually in the Final Four. Right. Uh, they just got they in the just Final Four Creighton today. They by 30. Yes, yes they did. <laughs> so Creighton, a 10 seed, a 10 seed getting to the Elite Eight in women's basketball. It just shows that. It's honestly crazy. That doesn't a lot happen more, a lot in women's no, basketball. No, no. There's more parity coming. There's better teams coming that are that are off the radar. It just shows that there there's more attention and there's there's more girls playing basketball and, and it, the sport's getting better. So it, it's just it's it's nice to see. Honestly, it's great to see. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, but it is congratulations, good. South Carolina women's basketball going to a Final Four yet again after a heartbreaking loss um, last in last year's um, Final Four. Um, to Stanford. Um, did you watch that? I know you probably didn't watch that game, but I am a, I'm a huge college basketball fan, women's and men's. I watched all the games. Um, and that was heartbreaking, not going to lie, uh, last year. So they've had, they've been the number one overall, overall team in the nation for most of the year. Um, they're on the opposite side of UConn so they will get the winner of Louisville and Michigan the winner of Louisville and Michigan they will play one of those teams a one in the three seats probably going to face Louisville but yeah yeah uh good stuff good stuff out of South Carolina and Don Staley and Alila Boston um yeah yeah. Henderson and Zia Cook stuff yeah Yeah. good can you You can you name could you name those players I don't think so uh, just Boston, just Boston. <laughs> she I, is I our like best player. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Alila. That is a pretty, very pretty name. Yeah. Um, but that is that is way off topic. Honestly, I might think about. I add that to like. Do you have a list, like a, what? like that you would? No, I I don't. But like I know, like my girlfriend has like a list of baby names. Does Braylon have a list of brain baby names? Not that I know of. Okay. I ask her because I kind of want to know. Yeah. But we'll do. I might, yeah, I might run Alila by. That's yeah. a good one. That's a good one right there. Yeah. Because I know my sister also has a bit. I, I don't know if it's just a girl thing, but I, yeah. 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 It might be. Honestly, yeah. I didn't really know about the, that. But the, ex- the extent of my creativity is is having an Andrew the Fourth. That is the extent of my creativity. And uh, Andrea, um, right? No, 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 <laughs> no. No, I do, I do like the name Leia though, and I like yeah. there. Oh, what is? And I, I, I honestly like Trey because as I'm that's fair. like the third, so I kind of like that. But that that's about it. That's fair. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, we got off topic here at the end. Um, but again, thank you for tuning in. Oh, yeah. Uh, thank you. We love you all. Good night, sweet dreams, or good morning, or good afternoon. Keep up that good work. Yeah. Yeah.
Uh, yeah, have a great week. Yeah, uh, I, I guess we'll start the countdown. But uh, you know, from here on out, we're gonna we're gonna let you know how many more days we got until baseball. And we got eleven days, folks. Mm-hmm.